This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Hands up if you had Rochester at 2-0. And who turned off the Seals game when it was 10-3? We'll talk to Gavin Prout and Jesse Gamble about a wild week two. We look ahead to a busy week three, give you another round of box bets, and Tanner Cook is an absolute menace. All that more on OTCB. I am an right in the middle here is Malcolm again shoot scores again this is a beauty short side bouncer well done all alone Curtis Manning on a break scores and then an extra one coming to Barker Enter Cook how many roughnecks are out there seven eight and three too many guys on the floor it's half a bench clear they're gonna put a lot of people on notice tonight Save again by Hartley as he approaches 50 saves. Fed across the shot, what a save by Hartley. He might have saved his best for last. They'll switch things up, cut. It's Dixon, and it's over! Curtis Dixon ends it with his fourth, and San Diego comes all the way back from down six to start the fourth and sets the building ablaze. We are two weeks in, and boy, is the National Lacrosse League giving us some enjoyment to start the season. Big comebacks, massive upsets, teams struggling. We've got a little bit of everything, and we've got a little bit of everything on the show. Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. You can find us on Instagram at OTCB Podcast or follow us on Twitter at OTCB underscore podcast. He is Pat Gregoire on Twitter, at P. Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner. It's who we are. Patty, what is going on, my man? How is your World Cup fever? I'll be honest, lost a little bit of, of steam when, uh, when Canada went out, but I'm still watching every single game. Like, I'm betting on every single game. Um, uh, when we're recording this, I know we're just about a half an hour from, from kickoff of your... Blah, that are blah, let's go, baby. in the uh, in the semifinals yesterday. Uh, I had I had uh, Messi to score oh. and Argentina to advance. So today I've got Mbappe to score, France to advance. So the thing, and this is maybe a little educational piece of of some Ooh. footy talk here when it comes to wagering. Uh, if you're betting on anything that is you know the money line, uh, the three way handicap, whatever it may be. Um, that's just the 90 minutes plus whatever additional time is added by the official. Say if you just want France to qualify to go to the next round, then that is where you have to bet because mm-hmm. qualify doesn't matter if it's PKs, doesn't matter if it's regular time, whatever it is, that's how you bet it. And yeah. that we were some confusion, some people reaching out saying, Hey, I bet on Morocco to win. They won. Why didn't my bet win? Uh, it's in regulation. It does mention that there, so just pay attention just a heads up. Just a heads up. to the fine print. But uh, when it comes to NLL wagering, overtime is included. We'll get to box bets in a little bit, uh, but just wanted to give some education to the listeners as we get ready for the penultimum, I guess it would be, the semifinal, be the, the last one. game, yeah, technically, yeah. yeah. There's no so. third-place game at the World Cup. There is actually, actually, there is one. I just do they play that game? They do, yes. I think it's on Saturday. So 
Who cares? Who cares? But it's another opportunity to sprinkle a wager. So um, we'll do that. <laughs> we got Gavin Prout, OC of the Rochester Nighthawks, and Jesse Gamble of the San Diego Seals. Two teams that are two and zero, and maybe one team we expected to be two and zero, and one team maybe not so much. Do we need to break up the Nighthawks, Patty? Oh God, dude! Th- this team. Again, knee-jerk reaction. I think a lot of like there's going to be a lull with this team. Let's let's get it like yeah. there is going to be some sort of d- down point. At, uh, they're not going to go undefeated. But uh, hand up. I did not expect this. No, I absolutely did not expect this. I assume that they were going to. I said it multiple times. They're going to compete every single night. They're going to make you work. Their defense is going to make you work. Their offense has a lot of young, talented pieces, but. You know, once it comes together, it's going to work and it's going to click and, and they're going to be a tough out. Um, but it seems like every ball that Connor Field shoots goes in the back of the net. Hogarth is playing like Peterborough Lakers, Man Cup, uh, Thomas Hogarth. Ryan Smith is having a great start this season. Holden Katoni shooting the ball. Like everything that can go well for this offense mm-hmm. is going well. And the biggest storyline, Hartley, man, Ralphie, the man they call Ralphie, has through two games, has just been the best goalie in the NLL so far. It he has out, been phenomenal. He outdueled his fellow Orangeville uh, alumnus in yeah. Nick Rose. Like he outgoalied him and outgoalied him by a mile. Can he keep this up? I don't know. But if he does, this team will be competing for a playoff spot. There is no doubt in my mind. I think there's obviously a lot of concern anytime anybody shoots a heavy, high, hard outside shot against the Rochester Nighthawks. Like, please don't hit him in the head. Please stay away from anything between the shoulders. Like, I don't know how, like, truth be told, we were trying to get Ralphie on the show, but he's working. So we audibled for Gavin, like, that's a step down. But um, (laughs) pretty good audible. Yeah, I want to know, and I think this is a question for all goaltenders, because that has to be a concern. Is there some sort of science going around to try and build a a more sturdy helmet to try to avoid the concussions that are inevitable in that position? So um, it's awesome to see him healthy. Uh, Knock on wood that it stays that way, because we need this kid playing the way he does. He's just so fun to watch, like even not during the game. Like before the game, when he's doing his stretches and like it is crazy to see how flexible he is and what that does for his game style. There's nobody like him playing the goalie position right now. No, and I think there is like the changing of the guard when it comes to the goaltending position. It's not just big guys that block well because you just don't have it. And yeah, we have some goalies in the league that are a little more traditional, but like and by traditional, I mean over the past, you know, couple of decades. Like Hartley is more of like the vintage goalie that we saw way, way back yeah. in the day. Um, super athletic, uh, jumping all over the place, like doing the splits, going down in the butterfly, like just using his raw athleticism to his advantage. And man, you're right. It is so, so, so much fun to see and I think he almost was overly aggressive in his first couple of years that we mm-hmm. saw him and he's kind of now found a nice balance where he's still able to use 
his athleticism, still able to use that rangy body that he has, but he's also making those outside saves where he's just squaring up to the ball and blocking yeah. the ball, where instead he was chasing the ball before, um, biting really hard on fakes, getting players to try to shoot where he wants to, not doing yeah. that quite as much, still playing within the brand of lacrosse and the brand of goaltending that he does, but he's dialed it back and man, through two games, it's certainly working. So, so what's been their biggest boost? Has it been Hartley straw poll here? Has it been Hartley, the offensive tandem of Fields and Hoagie, Gavin Prout around that offense, or Vinyl being open every night of the week? <laughs> I think it's got to be Vinyl. Yeah, not? for sure. For sure. Um, to, oh, man, it's so tough to say because, I mean, we'll talk to uh, Gavin Prout in, in a little bit. And, and, you know, in our conversation that we did have, it was great. Um, you'll hear, like um, – there's some structure into the offense. Yes, you allow these playmakers to be playmakers, but like there is definitely a different message with that group and selflessness and, and not being selfish is certainly a big, big reason why this offense is doing well. But at the end of the day, man, like they started out hot last year. They really fizzled off. And I do mm. believe a big reason was the uncertainty in net. They yeah. thought Evan Kirk was going to be their guy. Then he left. So it's like, okay, partly you're thrown in the fire. Then he, uh, you know, is is then taken out of the equation. Then it's Joel Watts. And, and Joel Watson had a couple, you know, some solid starts. And that's why he's playing for Vegas right now. But just the fact that you were down to your third and fourth goalie yeah, yeah. is just, how do you win with that? And how do you, like, how do you expect teams to win when you're down to your three and your four? Um so for me, I got to go with Hartley. Yeah. I really do. And I, I think there's a lot of people who are saying that, you know, through two weeks, you could you could put an argument for Fields to, to be an MVP candidate if he keeps this pace or even close to this pace. But for me, it's Hartley. Yeah. Uh, this is a goaltender's league, Teddy. We know it. Look at all the past champions over not even the last decade. Like look at even decades before that you got a, a franchise goalie, you're going to win a lot of lacrosse games. Um, Toronto has a franchise goalie in Nick Rose. He's been their goalie for, God, six, seven years now. But are you worried the Rock didn't score for the final 23 minutes of that game? Um, I mean, concerned for sure. But for some reason, that Rock offense just did not look – engaged um whatever it was i don't know if there were some bad habits from the vancouver game that was was creeping in early um like tom triver was one for 14 um that is insane mm -hmm. like tom triver's shots just just they sink that's what they do when he takes a shot it's likely to go in the back of the net and if it doesn't that that possession the next time he shoots it's likely going to go in um you know Dan Craig didn't look as dangerous, wasn't beating his man underneath nearly as much as he normally does. Zach Mann's kind of struggled. Um, Corey Small looked like a guy that was trying to find his way in the offense, not like what we saw in game one where he looked like he'd been playing with that team for years. Uh, the Really, the only player that I was impressed with on that offense was Stephen Keogh. Yeah. And his shots were just sinking. And he was obviously doing all this Stephen Keogh things, like crashing and banging, picking up loose balls, winning battles. 
So sure, 23 minutes, no goals. You're always going to be concerned with it. But I just, I feel like that was one where everything was snowballing in the in the wrong direction and they ran into a hot goalie and weren't, weren't able to solve them. And yeah. this offense is going to be fine, but I think it's a wake-up call for the offense saying like, look, you, you got to show up. You can't just expect you know, to be able to turn it on at any point, because then once they started getting their looks and their quality chances, Hartley was making big saves and it was over at that point. Uh, out West San Diego seals were just out of it. They were down 10, three to Saskatchewan. And everyone is like, Holy shit. Saskatchewan is fully back, but then they lose Kyle Rubish and they lose Ryan Dilks out of their back end. And the Seals found some space and found some momentum. And Berg scored. Doby was scoring. Dixon took fire. And they still won at home in overtime. That's two games that they've kind of eked out. They're number one in everybody's power ranking. But how important is that win for San Diego going forward? It's massive. Anytime you, you beat a division foe, it's huge. Uh, but the fact that they looked so inept for three quarters offensively i want to say they couldn't do anything mm -hmm. like saskatchewan smothered them um really could not get any sense of semblance uh to go like i think in the first half they had two transition goals from trey leclerc and a power play goal from yeah. dane doby with all that firepower that is completely unacceptable Mm -hmm. But with that being said, this offense has the capability to turn it on at any, any moment. It almost cost them that they were able to capitalize on two of the best defenders in the game being out. And I think that played a big, big role. And oh, not, enough people, not enough people were talking about, it. yeah, the San Diego comeback was unbelievable. But if those two defenders are out long-term, and maybe I'll get you to maybe talk about that a little more because I know you were adamant that not enough people were really mentioning yeah. any of that. But for me, it's huge. It's such a morale boost. It, it, the fact that San Diego now, you know, like you said, they scrape by with two, two wins. And I think if you ask them, um, maybe not offensively because – look how good they looked in the fourth and look how great they looked in game one. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you talk to Patrick Merrill and said like, you know, two wins in your defense and, and Frank Shiliano would not look very good. I think he would sign off on that. But I think the bigger concern for San Diego right now is the, like, is, is Frank Shiliano going to be okay? Like, cause he has not looked good through the first two Whoa. games. See, I, I would argue the point that they gave up 10 goals, right? They gave up 10 goals and one to a very talented and potent Saskatchewan team. They they shut the door in the second half of that game that allowed their offense to settle in. I don't think Frank is the problem. I don't think their defense oh, is the problem. Like I, That first game, it's the first game, whatever, there's going to be a ton of goals. The second game, I actually thought their defense was really good. I think their offense ran into one of the best defenses in the league and then took advantage of no Rubish and no Dilks. That is the massive storyline in this game that I think people yeah. keep forgetting. Yeah. When you take those two players out of that Saskatchewan defense, it makes the floor so much more open for the offense because 
Dilks and Rubish cover so much space. They're always in that top matchup. And when they're on the floor at the same time, it's nearly impossible to do anything because that defense is so structured. Then you add in all the other athletes that they have on that back end. It is going to be one of the toughest defenses to crack. And when you take those guys out, then you start seeing shots fall on Alex Bouquet. Then you start to get into his head and his game starts to go down. They had to go to Penny. Then they went back to Bouquet. Then they went back to Penny. Like you take those two guys and that whole defense lost its semblance. Yeah. And it was a massive turning point in that game. And credit to San Diego for taking advantage of that. Yeah. As that game went on through the first three quarters, they had absolutely nothing. Like you said, two transition goals and a power play goal. They did nothing five on five. They weren't really doing anything on the power play. And then once Dilks and Rubish were out, the whole offense opened up and that defense had holes and San Diego exposed it. So hopefully for Saskatchewan, those two guys aren't out long term because they are massively important to their success. So lucky for Saskatchewan that they have a buy and they get two weeks off essentially with the Christmas break. And that just goes to show you, like, don't get me wrong, Jake Boudreaux, like, unbelievable start to his rookie year. Jared mm-hmm. Smith scores his first NL goal, look really great. Um, you know, Connor McClelland, I've been banging his drone for a long time. Bobby Kidd, the third. Like, these are all really, really fantastic up and coming or or defenders that are coming into their game. Like, they are going to be great NLs. They are great NLers. But mm-hmm. when you take those two guys out never mind being short two bodies because that's a whole yeah. different yeah. effect but if you take them out long term now all of a sudden these guys are logging more minutes mm-hmm. and like you said you now don't have kyle rubish and and you don't have ryan dilks covering their best players and other guys are step in. And so it just com- changes the complete dichotomy of this defense. And those great players maybe are so great right now because they're playing different roles and they don't have to be pushed into a role where they're now the shutdown guys. So again, hopefully those two guys are healthy. Uh, it's short term. Mm-hmm. And because the way, what we saw in that first half, man, um, that was like vintage Saskatchewan defense, like suffocating, like bait you in to a double and up and out. The ball is the ball's on the turf. It's up in the stick. And, and, you know, Saskatchewan's getting ready to play offense. Like it was impressive to see, but it completely changed. Like you said, as soon as those two guys go down. Panther city wins their home opener. Um, they're always going to be fun to watch. Uh, there's just some characters and, and a lot of really fun players to watch within that offense. But I think on the other side of the ball, obviously Las Vegas was in that game. They just kind of ran out of steam as it went on, but there are a lot of positives for Sean Williams and his crew to take away, especially when you think no Marshall King, no Charlie Bertrand, no Zach Greer in the lineup. You add those three guys, it's a completely different team. But the guys that were in all stepped up, including everybody's new favorite American, Jack Hanna. Oh, man, Jack Hanna. We we talked to multiple people, including King, um, you know, asking about Hanna. Is he going to, you know, how good can he be? And a lot of people said, like, he's already good now um, and he's going to be even better. 
Um, he is no doubt going to be uh, an electrifying player to watch. But with that being said, um, John Phillips had a unbelievable game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, scores his first NLL goal, finishes with four points. Um, I thought that the the whole offense just was moving well. Rob Hellier had four four points. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Firth looked pretty good. Jacob Rue was a machine. Oh, it was which, so good. I mean, are we surprised at this point? No, no. four points, um, ten loose balls. I think he probably should have been credited for even more than that, to be honest. But the offense looked really, really good. Um, there were some lulls here and there, mm-hmm. but that just goes to show you when you put three guys who everyone kind of expected to be maybe not one, two, three top contributors, but you definitely thought they wouldn't be near the top of the depth chart. You add those guys back in, man, this offense I think is going to be a lot better than a lot of people thought. Jesse King named the new captain in Calgary. Um, we'll get to this a little bit more, but as Vancouver and Calgary are going again this weekend. But Calgary looked strong in their first opener. Zach Courier was unbelievable. Christian Del Bianco was just incredible down the stretch. Vancouver was better than week one. They looked like a team that had a game under their belt. They started to find some more with them. They're just not quite there yet. But are they closer than what we saw early in the season in week one. It was night and day. It's still not where they probably want to be, to be quite honest. Um, I think they definitely lucked out playing Calgary, who it was their first game, mm-hmm. um, because I thought Calgary kind of came out slow. But in that second quarter, then we really saw, you know, the transition really take over. Courier scoring a beauty. Uh, Shane Simpson, uh I think Manning had a goal uh, in that period as well. And that's one thing that I think Vancouver certainly needs to tighten up is their transition game both ways, like not just contributing more, pushing the ball up, getting some of those defenders to join the rush and score, but also getting off the floor or getting back in reverse transition, taking away scoring opportunities. I know it's a lot easier said than done when you're dealing with a dynamic defense like the Roughnecks, but man, at, at some points it was like, are these guys even getting off the floor? Like what is going on? And when you're a team that's struggling um, out the gate, and if you can eliminate those things and do the, like have your offense, maybe just sacrifice a little bit of offense, making sure one guy's getting off the floor with, you know, four or five seconds left, being aware of, of, of the shot clock, those little things will go further down the stretch. And yes, 1000%. They were a different ball club. Steve Fryer, what a great bounce back game for him. 40 saves looked much more confident in net in between the pipes. So I think the showing that we saw in week one was, Hey, this is a team that didn't play in any exhibition games. And they played a Toronto team that came out with their hair on fire. But with that being said, I don't know how much better I think this team is going to be. Like they didn't really, I didn't come in. Like if they, maybe if they won uh, and it was an impressive victory, I'd be like, okay, overreaction. They'll be okay. I still don't know if this is a playoff team is what I'm trying to say. Uh, We still don't know if they're going to have Sean Evans in the lineup. Tyrell Hamer Jackson posted an ellipse uh, on Twitter. So we don't know if that means he's back. That would be a nice little boost for them. Um, 
you know, they are still missing some bodies, but I think a home opener this weekend is going to be huge uh, for that group. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down time, Patty. And I'm going to stay with that game for my thumbs up. And holy crap, did Tanner Cook stamp his name in the power forward. Do not mess with me. I am a bull in a China shop ledger. What an absolute stellar game. Kurt Miloski told Brad Schaller and I leading up to that game that he expected Tanner Cook to, to have a big season. And when we talked to him this week leading up to the TSN game, he emphasized that point. And if you listen to Tanner Cook post game, they asked him about that game and he was smiling and he said he loved it. That's the way he loves to play. And if that's the way Tanner Cook is going to play, man, he's going to be a problem this year. So absolutely incredible game for Tanner Cook um, was causing shit, was getting in the middle of things, was standing up for his teammates, was scoring big goals, um, laying the body. I still don't think the hit on Codden was a major. Um, I thought that was maybe a two minute minor for illegal body check. But just his all-round game was fantastic. So a huge thumbs up for Tanner Cook. I've, I've been a big fan of Cookie's game since he played in, in Whitby. Uh, just a guy that, yeah, when he's pissed off, like he plays better. Yeah, he's going to probably take a penalty, but like I think you just have to take that because yeah. when he does play with that edge, he's so, so, so tough to stop. He's big. He's strong. He's got great hands, great vision, very athletic for his size. Like he is the prototypical power forward and man, he's going to be a nice piece in that offense. My thumbs up. Um, I'm going to go with a player as well. Uh, and it's a guy that was a thumbs down a few weeks ago, not for his play or anything. It was a thumbs down that we didn't think we were going to see Danny Logan and mm. through two games, been very impressed with the short stick D midi and his transition to the box game led the seals in loose balls uh, with, with 12, but it was like timely loose balls that he was able to come up with. Like he's, he's not going up and, and, and defending the best players on, on the team, but you know, he's not your shutdown guy yet, but he clearly has looked like he's able to figure out this box game, the two man game. He looks great. And this just goes to show you, you know, if you are an NL GM, and you are not looking in NCAA at short stick D middies, you are not doing your team justice. Like look at Ryan Tarafenko, what he's been able to do with the Thunderbirds. I just think that is a completely new avenue that GMs are going to, and they have already started to look. I think we're going to see more and more. And big fan of Dana Logan's game in, in the outdoor game, and now I'm a big fan of him inside the box because he he has been relentless, and I love to see it. Uh, what's your thumbs down? Thumbs down is actually what your thumbs down oh, okay. is. Let's go. So why don't you tee up and maybe I'll I'll, uh, I'll go off what you're saying. Okay. Um, if you were a social media person, you saw what was going on outside the National Lacrosse League. The Haudenosaunee and I believe Team USA yes. had world field camps over this past weekend. What the hell are NLL players doing at these camps in gear participating? It should never, ever, ever, ever happen. Because one of these days, you're going to see a player that is in the NLL 
at one of these camps and something's going to happen and it's going to cost them their season. And we saw it a couple years ago. It was before the season when Dan Coates and Cam Holding both blew their knees out at Team Canada camps before the Colorado Mammoth season. And they lost them for the whole year. If this continues to happen, more guys are going to get hurt and it's going to cost teams. This would never, you would never see a PLL player allowed to do that. I don't know why the NLL teams are letting their players participate in these events in season. Well, Teddy, I'll tell you why, because I don't know about the Haudenosaunee. I'll, I'll be fully transparent. Do not know. But from what I've heard from a few sources, USA Lacrosse told these players, if you want to play in the world games or at the world championships, I should say, sorry, you must attend this tryout. It was mandatory. So teams that had buys, and again, if you had a buy, or sorry, if you had a game, they were allowing players to take that off. That was no problem. But if you had a buy and you had nothing going on that weekend, if your NLL team wasn't playing, it was mandatory for you to go. So you mentioned, you know, players getting hurt. Well, the news will probably come out before this drops. So it's not breaking news, but breaking news. Um, Joe Nardella done for the year. Blew up his knee at USA lacrosse camp. No, he did not. He is done for the year. Yeah. Yeah. I've got word from, from Albany staff that that's in fact what happened. And as you can imagine, they're probably, (laughs) they're pretty furious about it. That's your draw guy. That's a guy that has made so many strides uh you know when it comes to the indoor game and now you lose him for the entire year for a tryout that let's be honest does he really need to try out like pretty sure he's gonna be your draw guy he's gonna be your draw guy so why does he need to go to that camp why does he need to go to that camp the worst part about that now is pat he does that outside of the nll so he goes to albany's uh physically unable to playlist and I don't think he gets paid because of that. Yeah, I, I think I do think you're right. And that's uh, another huge issue. And the fact is, if he blew out his knee and is done for the year, there's a good chance he's not even going to be able to play for the U.S. now. Yeah. He's definitely Depending not on playing PLL. He's definitely not playing PLL. And he's probably not going to be ready for that tournament. So, so now, now, he's, now he's out. And again, injuries happen. This could have happened to him. Yeah. playing for the fire yeah. the, the fire so i get it injuries happen it's sports but if we can reduce the injuries so these elite talents can go out and play whether it's nll pll world championships wherever i can i i can tell you team usa is worse off now not having nardella as their face-off guy that is brutal news and it just goes to show you this can't be happening midseason. It just can't happen. And the fact that you're telling players it's mandatory to come, yeah. that's not right. Because what's a player going to do? It's a lifelong dream to play for Team USA. Yeah. So, uh, hey, if you don't have an NLL game, well, you got to come. Players that do have an NLL games, okay, fine. If you guys don't. You know what? I get it. You can go there and be in attendance, but like Zed Williams doesn't need to be putting on the gear for the Haudenosaunee. Uh, Dehoka doesn't need to be putting them on. Um, Warren Hill wasn't in between the pipes from anything that I saw. So it, it just, 
Like, I know these guys want to compete. I know they want to be out there running around playing the creator's game. I get it. But sometimes you have to put priorities in perspective. And from January to June or November to June, your priority is the NLL. So um, hopefully the news about Joe Nardella turns out better than what we've heard it or what you've heard it to be. Uh, And he's not out for any real long term. But if he is, it's a loss for the Wolves who play this weekend against Rochester. It's a loss for the Whip Snakes because he was their draw guy. It's a loss for Team USA. It's a loss for uh, the Salmon Billies who wanted him to play for him during the summer. So it's just an absolute crushing, crushing news for Joe Nardella. But again, what the hell are players doing playing in non-NLL events during the NLL season? I just do not get it. Uh, all right. We have Gavin Prout and... Jesse Gamble in the next block, but seven games in week three, including rematch Friday, Pat Calgary and Vancouver is the TSN game of the week. Panther city and Las Vegas as the NLL debuts for real in sin city. But let's start with the TSN game. The warriors have to avoid going and three. Do they not? It's a must. And especially the fact that two of these games are against the same team. They're against the Western division. It's a tiebreaker in week three. That's what I mean. Like (laughs) you, like it is paramount that they come out with a win. Like you never want to say must win, like unless it truly is a must win. And you definitely don't want to throw the must win tag in week three of the (laughs) NLL. But this is as damn close as you get to it. And it's not just that, the fact that this could be massive in the standings. This is a team that has not been able to get over the hump for the past many years, we can say. yeah. This would be so tough to bounce back from as a group that has been fragile in the past. Last year, you know, they look great at the start. Goaltending's looking sharp. Mitch Jones looks like he's an MVP candidate. Then Jones gets injured in a freak accident during practice. The goaltending starts to crumble and the walls start caving in. You feel like that walls caving in feeling might start happening, happening when they go 0-3. And you, yes, you have a new coach in place and it's new culture. But if you go 0-3 and your coach is harping on you and, and, and that's when things can gar- start getting squirrely. And yeah. if it's starting to get squirrely in, in week three, good night. But if they can pick up a win here, like you can change the complete trajectory. Like those two first games, throw them in the garbage. You're yeah. like, ah, slow start, boys. We're back on track. Yeah, they, that's they, why. Yeah, <laughs> they they need this win for, for team morale, for fan morale, for a little bit yes. of momentum, anything. They just need to find a way to get a win. Will Sean Evans be in the lineup? That will be a huge boost for their group. Um, Chase Scanlon has looked okay. Uh, just hasn't found the net uh, quite yet. So that could be a spot where they slide Evie in. Like truly overall, like first game aside, like we talked about, there were a lot more positives. There, but one of the big negatives is they're getting absolutely killed in transition they've given up 11 transition goals including three shorthanded goals in two games and you're not going to win many games like that so this is a massive moment for the vancouver warriors home opener oh and two 
divisional rival on TSN, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. We don't want to say it, but must win has to be in the minds of this group. The other game on Friday, a rematch of the game in Fort Worth, the debut of the Desert Dogs in Vegas as they host Panther City, 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern. It will be amazing if they can get Kane, Greer, and Bertrand in that lineup to play for that home opener. But this is maybe me thinking outside the box. They dressed Joel Watson in that home opener. So Landon Kells could do some watching, do some scouting from the bench, and they're going to dress him in their home opener and start him in their home opener. Yeah, I maybe that's that is the case. And I thought I thought Joel definitely not one of his his better starts. I know he hasn't a, t- a ton, I, but I did think that he settled in a little bit as the game went by. But when you're an expansion team and you're a young team, you can't really afford to to not have a strong start. And from from what I gather, uh, it sounds like Joel Watson had a better camp, um, you know, than Landon Kells. But let let's let's be quite honest, Landon Kells uh, is the goalie of the future. Mm-hmm. He is has has the higher ceiling, um, so maybe you are right. For me, though, the big the big thing is yes, getting those veterans in the lineup, and I I would be curious if that changed the trajectory of the game because how many you know ebbs and flows there were during that game, and not to say that you know guys like Hellier, you know guys like Reinhold. Um, Rue, like those guys were able to control some of the emotions on, on yeah. the on the bench. But a couple of more veterans in the lineup, I think, you know, they're able to weather the storm a little bit after a couple of those times. But I will say, like, you know, looking at the box score, like every time it looked like Panther City was going to start going on a roll, Vegas replied. Vegas mm. replied. You know, Panther City scores a couple. Vegas then scores a couple. Like, it was back and forth, back and forth. So this is a team that, <laughs> despite missing some three key pieces on offense, they were able to really jump into things and prove that they're going to be a, a solid and all club. But, like, y- you look at all the, the festivities that are going on, like, off the floor – all four or owners are going to be there. I think mm-hmm. Cirque du Soleil is the halftime show. So like, <laughs> you know, of course, embrace the moment, embrace the history that that is happening, but don't get carried away in too much. Um, but feed off the energy that's in that building. And I think that's what they're going to do. I think that's, what's going to be the message in the locker room. And it goes to show you that Sean Williams can say like, we had these guys, you know, we lost by two. Like it was yeah. a close game. Like they're in our building now let's go and set the tempo. So I'm excited. I'm expecting another close game and I, I can't wait. Like this, this is going to be an awesome game. ESPN game of the week uh, as well. So hopefully it'll be all the buzz around town. Um, our man on the inside, Evan Schemenauer saying they've got a ton of tickets and season tickets already sold for that game. So hopefully it turns out to be an absolute spectacle. We wouldn't expect anything less from a team in Vegas. I'm kind of upset that I'm going to be on TV at the same (laughs) time. So I'm not going to be able to watch that, but I will get a full recap from you next week right here on off the crossbar. Gavin Prout is the offensive coordinator of the Rochester Nighthawks. It's his first year behind a pro NLL bench. His team is off to a hot start. Let's see what Gavin Prout has to say about Ryland Hartley 
and the Rochester Nighthawks right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Off to a 2-0 start, the red-hot Rochester Nighthawks. The talk of the town, and Gavin Proud is their new offensive coordinator. He joins us on the show. GP, what's going on, my man? Well, not too much. You know, we're just preparing for this upcoming weekend against Albany, and then hopefully we continue our our streak uh, for the year. Well, it, it is an incredible start, but a, a nice start for your NLL coaching career. What's it been like for you to be actually on an NLL bench? You know, I, playing in all these years, you don't realize how much uh, BS you put up with in the in the back end of things when it back into the the coaches' room and whatnot, and and some of the, di- the dynamics that go on, but. You know, I've had a great a great opportunity with Rochester, and, and we've really had, um, you know, a lot of success, uh, some cohesion with the coaches. I love the guys out there, and they've all kind of welcomed me with open arms, and I couldn't have asked for anything better to start. How did the opportunity come about? I, I, I know you always had, you know, admirations to, to hop on an NLL bench, but uh, how did the job come about? Sure. You know, I, I applied a couple of different uh, positions. Um, you know, Vegas was one of them and and uh, Panther City was one and, and Rochester was obviously one. But uh, Dan Carey, um, I think I'm not too sure what the situation was before with with GI, but um, had an offensive coordinating position uh, that was opening up and, and he came to a couple of the games and and really liked what we were doing with Brooklyn um, with the young squad that we had there. And he thought it was going to be a, a good fit for me. And, and at the same time, turning around and uh, it was a great fit for both of us. I think um, Rochester is a, you know, it's a drive away, which is nice. You can get back and forth within the day if you need to, um, you know, you're kind of in charge of your own travel, uh, the planes, trains and automobiles type of thing, but you're not losing your luggage and you're not waiting on delays and things like that. So it was uh, so far it's been, it's been really positive. Vegas would not have been a good fit for you. Though, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> warm weather for sure. Um, but you also cut your teeth uh, in the ALL, um, which, you know, people think about it's a great breeding ground and proving ground for young players, but it's also becoming a growing and proving ground for young coaches. How did the ALL and the work there with the Whitby Seahawks and the championships that you won really benefit you to take this next step? Yeah, you know, I, I, as you said, it's it's a great opportunity for players and coaches that are looking to progress and and get into that next level of uh, into the NLL. And um, you know, that was my first real head coaching job. Uh, it prepared me quite well. It, it was kind of uh, jack of all trades at that point. A little bit of the GM and a little bit of head coach and assistant coaches and and trainers sometimes. Uh, ta- you know, taping ankles and and equipment supplier and, and washing and, and, you know, you name it, we, we did it all there. So, you know, although it's, it's, it's such a, a fantastic opportunity for everybody, players, coaches, even fans taking a look at some of that upcoming talent that's going to be into the, in the league in the next couple of years. So, you know, it really prepared me well, um, getting, getting to know the, the other coaches and, and trading and things like that and, and seeing the actual talent that was, that was out there that wasn't quite in the NLL caliber really helped me with my scouting as well. Major underdogs to to start the year uh, is Rochester, and you find yourself two and zero to start the year. Was being doubted, or you know, seeing the odds, or whatever it may be, was that a part of the messaging going into camp, saying like, "Listen, no one's counting us. Uh, like, no one's counting us to be contenders. Um, let's go out and prove it, and, and prove ourselves that that we belong here." You know, I think it had a, a small driving factor, but at the end of the day, it's 
it's really kind of having the belief and confidence in yourself and your teammates and your coaching staff um, and all working together for a common goal, which we know what we have in that dressing room. Um, you know, in the past couple of years, I think that there was some underachievements for whatever reason, injuries and, and a lack of execution and whatnot. So some big, big players. And, you know, at the end, as I said, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, what's in that dressing room and what we know that we're capable of being and becoming. Um, we're well on our way to doing that, but there's there's still a long way to go. We're going to obviously focus on, on your end of the floor and the offense, but what can you say about Ralphie, Ryan yeah. Hartley, and, and how just out of the gate he's been? Obviously, there was concern with how his season ended last year with the concussions and, and how he'd be able to bounce back, but he's showing no signs of slowing down. And as a you know true second-year goaltender, he's really starting to to show that he belongs. Absolutely. You know, I think he came back with uh, – you know, a fire in his belly that obviously he always, he's always had one, but, you know, an extra chip on his shoulder to prove himself a little bit more than what he has. Um, you know, his health is great right now. And, and we're, you know, that's the type of goaltending that we need to be successful. That's, that's what a, an all-star goaltender is capable of doing. And we've seen what he is capable of doing. It's just a matter of putting a few of those, uh, you know, in a row, uh, a couple of games like that would, would change the da- dynamic and confidence of a team and a defense. Absolutely. And, you know, Ralphie's that goaltender that can change the game and can control the game for us, and, and hopefully that remains to be the case the next few. Can you score on him? Well, I mean, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I know we said we were going to focus on your end, so we might as well start talking about the offense because let's be honest, I don't know if a lot of people, and I'll, I'll admit it myself, didn't see the offensive explosion from this group this quickly, at least. Connor Fields has been on an absolute tear. Thomas Holgarth, who I was, have been a huge fan of his game for a long time, uh, really filling the net. What makes them such lethal scorers? You know, I think uh, it comes down to to us. Um, in coaching-wise, we, we prepare the guys very well um, for our opponents each and every week. Uh, we kind of break down where the weaknesses are in the defense and where we can possibly attack. But at the same time, we focus on our abilities. Um, my job is to get those players on on areas on the floor where they can thrive. Uh, we build some systems and structure based on their abilities uh, that complement their talents and their style of play and put them in that those positions to be successful on the floor. And, and I think those guys on offense right now are a very, very unselfish group. Um, we're not really, we don't really care about who gets the accolades we're, we want to get out there and, and outwork the, the defense each and every time we're on the floor. And I think that breeds success. All that with the guys that are, they're now working for each other and with each other versus, you know, in the past, maybe it was strictly, you know, I'll do whatever's good enough for me. And you see that with a lot of, a lot of teams where, where it becomes a one-on-one battle, uh, individually plays played offenses are, are very predictable. And that's one thing we don't want to be, we want to be lethal in all areas on the floor. And, and that's my job is to get those guys into those areas that will make them thrive. I already mentioned Hogarth, um, you know, Fields, Ryan Smith, like there's, you know, Holda Katoni, there's a ton of offensive firepower with this group, but uh, maybe a guy that doesn't put up quite the numbers or get the accolades uh, is Curtis Knight. You coached him with Brooklyn. How important is the veteran to that offense. Absolutely. You know, he's kind of the, the straw that, that stirs the drink. Um, he, he goes, he goes out there and gives us all both, both offensively and defensively on, on hard riding and, 
and setting hard picks and, and understanding the offensive schemes is, is one thing, but actually going out there and, and executing them accordingly is another. And he kind of is that leader out there. That's a calm presence. Uh, when he's out there, he knows exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And I think that that bodes well for, you know, a young offense like what we have right now. And, and other guys like Turner Evans, when he gets out there, he works very, very hard and, and works for his teammates and sure might not show up on the scoreboard, um, and the same as Austin Hazen, you know, those types of guys are, they, they don't, they're not quite getting the numbers, but they're doing everything else on the floor to get those other guys open to be successful. When you look around the national crossing, the set plays are becoming more and more the norm. Um, are you there yet as a head coach to, to have a Rolodex of plays that you can run, um, during special opportunities? Absolutely. You know, uh, you take what, you know, you learn from other coaches, you learn from, um, you know, you, myself as a player, I've learned what coaches put in our games, what was successful, what wasn't. Um, sure, you put your own spin on it every once in a while, but, uh, you know, I like to keep it a simple structure type of offense. I don't want to uh, X and O it to death. Uh, I'm more of a free flow, freestyle type of guy, and, and it comes down to, you know, giving them the opportunity to be creative out there as well. You know, when you have too much structure, I think it limits – um, the abilities to, to, to them for them to be offensive lacrosse players. And I don't want to handcuff anybody from, from their, their greatness. And, and I think I'm just trying to uh, embrace the fact that I'm still learning. I'm not perfect by any means, but there is a bunch of plays that we can run. We have run. Uh, we have been successful in a few of them and some we haven't, but it's always a work in progress. You, you mentioned that you take things, you know, as a player and then you become a coach, you take things from, from other coaches. Who are some of those coaches that, you know, you, you've kind of taken some pieces and whether it's a play or a coaching style, whatever it may be, because you can never really emulate what another coach does, but you definitely do take little bits and pieces from, you know, the bench bosses that you've played for before. Sure. You know, I mean, I'm, I've taken a almost, a, you know, a piece from almost everybody. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be coached by Les Bartley back in Team Canada's, uh, Eddie Como. Uh, we have Gary Gate, obviously, who was, who was somebody I won with in 2006. And I, I was coached by him in multiple times in the MLL. Uh, you know, Jim Bishop was one of the main factors that growing up that kind of instilled, you know, my my foundation of my coaching and and what I, my beliefs and whatnot. And, and, you know, people like my father and who has also helped out along the bench. So there's, there's places and people that you just pick up small little incremental things that you can build your rapport or repertoire with. And, and from there it, it kind of grows and evolves, but um, there's, there's just so many to, to mention. I probably missed six or seven, but those are kind of the ones that, you know, I've kind of leaned on. You mentioned Jim Bishop and like, I heard stories and myths and legends about how he was as a coach. What was it like with that Whippy Warriors junior team? And, you know, growing up, all you guys had him for so many years. What was it like being coached by him? Well, back then, it was a little bit different coaching style than what you're true, allowed to do. You know, <laughs> you know, the yelling and the screaming it was all kosher back then. It was the norm. And, and now if you raise your voice, there's there's maybe, you know, uh, a hand wrapping to do on that. But, um, <laughs> you know, he was he was down, you know, straight to the point. He was always honest with you and always treated with respect. Um, but it, sometimes it was harsh respect and harsh reality that you needed to know. And it wasn't sugarcoated by any means. But overall, we he, he drilled 
you know, the, the small details, you know, the attention to detail stuff, you needed to be good at the small things in order to evolve, to be good at the big, the larger picture. And, and that's kind of one of my foundations of coaching with Rochester. We got to take care of the little things out there. We got to very, very small de- attention to detail. Things will eventually, as I mentioned, evolve to, to larger and better things. And, and as we piece those smaller things together, it, it starts snowballing. The snowball effect comes into play and we're doing more positives than negatives out there. I think you're seeing that a little bit this year as well. 3-0 and out of the gate, all versus East teams would be incredible for you guys. Albany this weekend, how much of a problem do they pose for your offense? You know what? They're, they they will pose a problem. They're very uh, they're young, but they're athletic. Uh, they pressure the ball well. They, they slide very well. They're a very good defensively coached team. And, um, you know, we, we're preparing for that. We, we know what they're capable of. We've seen it against Buffalo. Obviously, they beat Buffalo at, and the quote-unquote upset. Um, but I think there will be a lot of upsets this year based on, you know, how, how close in parity a lot of these teams are. And, and if you take a, a shift off or take, you know, a quarter off, you're going to find yourself behind the eight ball real fast. And and that's something that we don't want to do. We don't want to – we haven't put a 60-minute uh, game together quite yet. We're, we're close. But, you know, at the end of the day, that that's our goal is to put all 60 minutes every single game and, and you know, focus on what we can bring to the table. Uh, last one for you here. Uh, I don't know if you saw it a couple nights ago on the NLL broadcast when we were calling the Toronto game. They put a graphic up comparing my stats with Dan Dawson's stats. Um, Dan Dawson is making us look bad, Gavin. You went first that year. Um, 57 spots or 67 spots before Dawson, and he's still playing. What the hell is going on? You know, he takes really good care of his body. There's no question about that. And, and no, we didn't. <laughs> uh, apparently, apparently, man, it, it's hard to get up to that head of his, you know. I, yeah, it's true. I up a little early because of concussions and, and yeah. I played a little bit longer. But, you know, he, he can take a hit like no other and, and he's proven his his worth. Um, and it was it was fun to see him continuing to, to compete out there. And, and I hope to see him a few more games. And then whether it's a couple more games or a couple more years, it'd be it's great to see the longevity of his career. Uh, you guys get Albany this weekend, Prouder. It's awesome to see you on the bench. What color shoes are you wearing this weekend? I think I'm going to go with the red ones this weekend. So keep right. in mind. I will uh, make sure you stick your foot up on the board a couple times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, my man. Good luck this weekend. Awesome to see you behind the bench, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. All right, so there's Prouder. Uh, he and the Nighthawks will take on Albany, and he's, he said, an opportunity to go – 3-0 in the East right out of the gate is massive for this club that a lot of people, you know, thought were on the cusp of possibly being a playoff team, maybe shooting for that wild card spot. But a 3-0 start puts them in the driver's seat in the East. Who would have thought week three, Rochester, Albany would be the battle of the undefeateds? I right? certainly would not have. Uh, but here we are, and this is the, the, the beauty of the NL. Lots of parity. And both these teams have earned it, uh, you know, with flying colors. Albany goes into Buffalo, shuts that offense down. Um, Rochester, we talked about them quite a bit this episode, and as we should, mm-hmm. uh, but two very, very big wins against Eastern teams. But, yeah, if you can start out 3-0, and especially in your division or in your conference, I should say, that is massive because off the top, I did mention Rochester is going to at some point this year hit a lull. So to make that lull not seem as detrimental, that 3-0 start is certainly going to help you. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. 
they can grab a stranglehold of of first place in the East. And are they going to hold on to first the entire season? I don't know. But it allows them to have some room for error or some breathing room um, instead of, again, a team like on the flip side we talked about in Vancouver that are going to, you know, if they lose, they're 0-3 and they feel like they're, you know, just trying to grasp for air underwater the entire season. Um, division games, we've, year after year, Teddy, we've, we know how important they are. And if they can grab three off the hop, that's going to be massive. And the, the same goes for, for Albany. For Albany. They can yeah. start out 2-0. and That's huge. Massive. Yeah, it's going to be a huge game. I think the battle between Dougie and Ryland Hartley is going to be exceptional. Um, two of the best young goaltenders in the National Lacrosse League right now. I think it's a big measuring stick for Ryland to go up against a former goalie of the year in Doug Jamison. I think these are two young offenses that have a lot of hype around them. So uh, this is going to be a very sneaky good game um, that I think a lot of people are going to want to pay attention to. Unfortunately, on Saturday, there's three games all at 7 p.m. Eastern, and then the final game is at 7.30. So um, have a lot of tablets and screens ready to go. <laughs> on Saturday night um, must win for both Philadelphia and Georgia as those two teams battle both teams. Oh, one, and those teams would love to get a game under their belt, a win under their belt, because, you know, again, we talked about early season wins and losses. This is a huge point for both these clubs that have playoff aspirations. These two teams. And, and I think they would agree themselves did not look good in week one we saw what happened to philly in the season opener just the offense didn't look like what we were expecting with the addition of of joe resiteritz they ran into a hot goalie as well like i mean hill really had their number but defensively they kind of looked chased around um higgins didn't look look really great so i think the buy after week two obviously you'd rather get into a funk and and work those kinks out but when you lose that badly it allows you you to kind of throw that on the back burner not really because you're watching back film there's probably not much positive that you can take from it anyways so you you learn from your mistakes and you start fresh uh and luckily you start fresh against a team that you have had their number um it just seems like every time these two teams play though, they're close games. Yeah. And these are two teams that are probably going to be competing for one of those last spots in the East or the crossover. And talking to Paul day before that first game, like he mentioned that, like they felt like, yes, they won a lot of one goal games, but at the same time, they felt like that crossover game, they could have made their, their their lives so much easier by winning some other games and not have to go all across the country to face a tough tough team in san diego and they almost won so we've been mm-hmm. saying like if you can take care of business and not allow you to put yourself in that wild card spot they want to do that so on the flip side georgia offensively i thought they looked all right and they're going to be all right with all that talent that they have when they gel together but defensively and in that that kind of was concerning giving up 16 goals i know we know more about rochester being a pretty dynamic offense after what we saw what they did to to toronto but yeah these two teams don't have a lot of room for error and again you don't want to say you know must win but certainly both both teams would really enjoy victory here to get on track to start this year do you start brett dobson 
Oh, no, I don't think so. I really don't. I love Dauber. I think he's going to be an unbelievable goalie. I think he's going to be a franchise goalie. But I just think to go to Dauber this early, um, then you lose confidence in a guy like Craig Wendy, who you know that can at least log some solid minutes. I just think it's too much of a panic move in in week three of the NL season. What about yourself? Do you think you got to go to him now? Uh, no, I don't think you have to go to him. I think, but if if things start to go sour early, yeah, then I think I think maybe the leash is shortened a little bit on Wendy because at some point you have to figure out what you have in Dobson. You have to see what he's like in gameplay. So of course, um, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they started him. But I like I think you agree, or I agree with you, where you say you can't shatter the confidence of Craig Wendy this early. He it was the first game of the year. Your entire team didn't look good. Um, you got shocked by a Rochester team that's kind of putting everybody on the map right now. Go back to Wendy, see how he bounces back, see how your team responds, um, and then go from there. The other seven o'clock game. I believe, as much as I love people looking at Brad and I on TV, <laughs> that Buffalo at Toronto should have been the TSN game of the week. And I think this is going to be an absolute dandy of a lacrosse game. Actually, I think all four games, actually all six games are going to be great games this weekend. But of the four on Saturday, this is one of the marquee matchups. And it should have been the TSN game of the week, in my opinion. I totally agree. Yes, I would love to call this game. So that is why I'm also agreeing. But from a fan perspective, anytime Toronto and Buffalo meet, fireworks happen. Mm -hmm. But I will put my media hat on and I will say that the reason why it's probably not on is that... No, no, no. Leafs would be on on sports. It is... The NFL now starts to play these Saturday games and TSN has the rights to the Saturday game. The Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins are playing Saturday night. The game's on TSN. There's also some uh, some college football bowls going on. So schedule-wise, doesn't work. That's why it's not happening. But that doesn't change the fact that this game would be unbelievable for yeah. the TSN game of the week. Uh, these two teams don't like each other. And there are two teams that are coming off some some bad losses where they have a sour taste in their mm-hmm. mouth. Like, will Buffalo go 0 and 2? Could you believe that this team could start the season off 0 and 2? Or the mighty Toronto Rock that put up a billion goals and looked like their defense and Nick Rose were unstoppable? Do they go one and two? And then now you're thinking like, oh my God, are they going to have a similar start to last year where they struggle and then turn things on? Like. One of these teams, you're you're going to be scratching your head at, like, yeah. saying, like, how has this happened? Like, how has this happened at the start of the year? I, I think this is, you know, this is going to be a crazy game because of that. One team's either going to be zero and two or one and two, and it's just going to set everybody in the East kind of salivating when they see one of those teams at the bottom of the standings, knowing what is left for the rest of the year. I think we see a much better Toronto offense, a pissed off Toronto offense. I think we see a much more aggressive Buffalo defense. Um, it will be a battle tooth and nail and everything we'd expect from a Buffalo Toronto game in Toronto, in Hamilton, 7 PM Eastern. Uh, again, all those games on TSN, TSN.ca. The final game 
of the weekend. Maybe one of the more intriguing matchups, Halifax at New York. And New York, another team that could be 0-2 after week three heading into the Christmas break. Uh, another big test for New York at home against an Eastern power. Again, I know this isn't two, you know, two Canadian teams. And I know the Bills game's going on. But again, I think you could make an argument for this even to be a game that should have been on on TV. Maybe ESPN should have picked this one up. uh, Because I I do believe that both these teams have a lot to prove. Halifax, again, another team that has started off, off really hot. Uh, over the past couple of years in Fizzle, though, are they going to be able to, to at least show that they are a top team right now? New York, uh, just a heartbreaking loss against a very good San Diego team. Like the way both these offenses have been playing <laughs> in their first open, like their opening game, like got to maybe think about sprinkling the over. But with that being said, uh, Halifax, their defense has the capability to, to clamp down and, uh, New York's defense much improved as well. So this, I agree, I agree totally, totally agree. Um, these these two teams, there's a lot of storylines within each other, and I think this is going to be an intriguing match. And one thing to note, uh, like Halifax has done a pretty good job uh, against Jeff Teat early on in his career. I believe mm-hmm. the first game they played, Teat only had two. I know the game in New York, he had a few more, but Graham Hossack has been able to keep him in check, and that's a matchup within the match that I'm looking forward to, to seeing. Do they go with Hossack? Do, do they mm-hmm. try him with maybe a speedy guy instead? So I, I can't wait for this one. Um, again, could have it on TV, but hey, that's <laughs> fine. Just get your tablet out, get your yeah. laptop, get the TV, whatever. bring in another TV, whatever it is. It's going to be a lot of good games on Saturday at, at 7 p.m., 7.30 Eastern. Yeah, it is going to be a fantastic weekend. So your games this weekend in week three, Calgary at Vancouver, Panther City at Las Vegas, as both all four of those clubs have a little rematch. Buffalo at Toronto, Rochester at Albany, Philadelphia at Georgia, Halifax at New York. What a crazy, crazy week three. And we talked about it. We could have teams that a lot of people picked championship aspirations at 0-2 or 1-2, to start the year and then team like Rochester or Albany undefeated headed into the Christmas break is everything. The national lacrosse league is all about at this time of year. It's early. We all say you can't win a championship in December, but you could definitely lose your opportunity for it in December as well. And that's, that's the big, the big thing, Teddy, like you don't want to have knee jerk reactions this early in the season because we've seen, look, there's, there have been teams that have turned things on in the second half of the year, but I think just with how much parity there is in the National League this year, you can't afford to go 0-3 to start the year. You can't afford to go 0-2 if you want home. Like for Buffalo, yes. Can they afford to go 0-2? Because I think they can't because they're a very, very good lacrosse team. They'll figure things out. But if you go 0-2, Now you're just making it so much more difficult to have home field advantage. Mm -hmm. And how important has home floor advantage been for the Buffalo Bandits over these years? Massive. Yeah, they haven't won a championship, but like you go to a playoff game in Banditland, that makes a difference. Halifax, they're just foaming at the mouth to get a playoff game 
on the East Coast. Toronto, that's a raucous environment. They don't want to have to travel to to Halifax for a game. Like, and that's just the East. Like, that's just the East. You can't afford to start out slow. You also can't afford to hit the panic button and say, oh, like, the, the sky is falling. Something urgent needs to happen as well. So there has to be that balance of, of a calm approach, but you also have to have some urgency if you do find yourself behind the eight ball because I don't think there's going to be a walkover game anymore for, for some of these teams. Like there's no more. I don't think there's any walkover games. You know, the the Vancouver game against Toronto early on in the year. I think we all kind of saw that coming as as Vancouver hadn't played a preseason game. Toronto was just chomping at the bit, guaranteed win night. But after that, nothing is an easy contest in the National Lacrosse League anymore. Teams are too good, too deep. There's too much film, too much time to prepare. These teams are going to be scouted thoroughly they're going to know their set plays they're going to know their tv timeout plays they're going to know what they want to do you know in the last 30 seconds of a quarter everything is going to be fine tooth cone to be ready to go and you have to be prepared and ready to adjust accordingly as games go on and now we're going to start to see the value of some of these coaching staffs how can they adjust how can they prepare and what can they do in game to help their team win because we're already starting to see that. Teddy, Uh-oh, I cannot Pat. believe this. Uh-oh. We forgot about Colorado Panther City. There's another game on Saturday. What? They play at 8 p.m. Eastern. What? In Panther City. Panther City is robbed of a night out in Vegas. I don't know if you, you heard this. They play on Saturday after playing in Vegas the night before. How did I miss that? I don't know, but I missed it too. And when, when we were going through the rundown, I just remembered because I remember listening to Back of the Bird and the fellas talked about how they oh. were absolutely robbed of a night out in Vegas. And and John Donville said, yeah, like I got offered to, to do some coaching down here, but no, I got to, you know, they're out right away. So probably a good thing for Panther City, uh, but of course not going to be able to enjoy uh, Sin City because they got to get back to play a very good Colorado team and a Colorado team that did not start the year that they wanted to. And you know, they're going to be hungry. Yeah. And they're going to have Reese Dutch probably playing in his first game. So yeah. that's massive. He's four points away from a thousand. Uh, I'm not sure how I missed that, but that is the, we're going to see a team for the first time this year, play back-to-back games in one weekend um that's a quick flight from vegas to colorado maybe an hour maybe less um so it shouldn't be too hard for them to adjust but you know colorado's another team that could be zero and two to start the season so it's it'll be interesting to see but maybe more interesting is the two and oh start for the san diego seals and they get a tough win in new york They get a hard-fought win at home in their season opener. And our next guest hasn't played in the NLL in five years, but he's back enjoying life as a pro, and he's Jesse Gamble. He joins us on the show. Gams, what's up, man? Uh, You know, same old. Thanks for uh, for having me on. Uh, What the heck is your high-rise? Where are you right now? Uh, This is the RBC building downtown Toronto, the gold building. What are you, like on floor 58? 31. Yeah, we're up there. It's a, it's a, it's a hike. 
<laughs> do you run the stairs every day? No way. <laughs> I, I, I'm a I'm a sweater. That wouldn't that wouldn't go well oh. with uh, my suit. I'm a I, I, I was gonna say that'd be a a pretty good way to stay in shape over the fa- past five years. What have you been doing over the past five years uh, in your mini retirement? Yeah, um, you know, lots of work and working out. Uh, that's pretty much my my, my two answers. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, uh, uh, you know, wife and friends and family, etc. Uh, you know, but that that kind of never changed. But uh, yeah, just focusing on work during the week and hitting the gym and doing that type of stuff. Just kind of the same as I've, as I've always done. Just not playing on the weekends. So fill that with more of the same. Why did you decide to to step away? Yeah, it's it, pretty much a work decision. Uh, yeah. I wanted to take on more responsibility and it's hard to ask for more responsibility, but then also be like, but I'm also piecing out on Thursdays or Fridays and not, you know what I mean? So, uh, so that's kind of what happened at that moment. So at, in, I think that was 2017, 18, uh, and it was always kind of like a year to year scenario so i told you know toronto at the time i can't play this year and we'll just see how it goes and somehow five years went by and then now we're we're back so so walk us through the process of coming out of retirement how how did it all happen did did patty reach out to you did you read out to out to pat how did how did the conversation go and what did your wife think more importantly? <laughs> yeah, good, good question good question uh uh, it's actually, it was very last minute and pretty much a, a kind of a whirlwind scenario. I was, um, I still, so I stay in contact with a few of those guys, especially the Orangeville guys, like, you know, Brody, Patrick Shooter, uh, you know, some of my favorite human beings in the world. And, um, I've played, you know, I played with all of them, you know, roommate with, you know, Brody, like I, I get along with those guys fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stay in contact and. I was in this kind of like a, a CrossFit competition late, like fairly recently, and it went well in the sense of how old I am and how much it was and how the body felt, and just in through conversation, almost joking with Brody, and which then brought in Patrick as well, like just talking about how you know how everything feels, and then just got to chatting, and then it was like a week later signed, and then it was like a week before training camp or something. Like it was, it happened very quickly how excited are the members of the track masters league that they don't have to go up against you anymore (laughs) i thought they i thought they had fun um i had fun that was you know that it was that was it was good conditioning those are they're really good dudes i actually got to know some some guys there that you know I, i hadn't in the past and some really really good dudes um in that league uh um they, they do a good job like it that's that's i it, it's very good for people to be able to play as long as they want in a league like that was it difficult to to you know because it is masters like did you ever been like man why am i doing this I, I like or was it actually a lot of fun that you were still able to pick up the stick you know once a week and and you know kind of hang out with some some good good dudes no it was a lot it was it was a lot of fun i i like i chose to play like i you know what i mean like i i i think i was talking to rosie and, and saying like you know what like can i do this like what is the age limits all that type of stuff and he's just like yeah i don't feel free and you know i didn't take it too seriously and took it as more conditioning to get the stick in your hand like i tried to play some like masters or just like some hockey leagues pick up hockey leagues around toronto and 
you know, you go into the corner and guys are trying to rub you out. <laughs> yeah. Your people are getting in fights and you're sticking up for teammates. And, you know, I'm not, that's not what I signed up for, um, for that. But the, the, the lacrosse is much more um, what, what I was looking for. You spent your whole career with Toronto. And obviously, like you said, you're very familiar with a lot of the key guys in that San Diego organization. But what made San Diego the right fit for you in this comeback? Yeah, so Toronto treated me extremely well all the years I played there. Like, nothing bad to say about Toronto. Jamie is amazing. Um, you know, I had a few coaches over those years. They were all great. Uh, San Diego was just, one, a, a change. Two, it doesn't, you know, it helps when you see some of those free agent signings and they were already so good. And, you know, I played against a lot of those players and I just, I know how good they are. Uh but I, I, a lot of it comes down to, you know, guys like Brody, Patrick, Shooter. I, I mean, the list does go on. There, there's some phenomenal players on that team, but just the people, the culture also. And I've, you know, I've, you know, being able to get out, um, get out of Toronto and into San Diego. No one will ever kind of complain about that. <laughs> um, how has the NLL changed since you last played? It's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I don't think a lot like so what the, the big change during my career was when they reduced the roster sizes mm-hmm. that was a big change because you could always have one or two massive human beings on your team that would just beat the piss out of each other and <laughs> and like it was a, it seemed like it was slower there was guys that wouldn't work out period right and they were phenomenal they you know now it's now it, at that point it, the, the game shifted to a faster more uh, I don't know what, I don't know the exact word, but it, it was kind of like when hockey changed too, right? Where less, you know, hooking and, and, and faster players. It, that was the big change. I don't think a lot's changed over the last five years. Um, the, there's more, I think, you know, more teams, more players. Um, I was looking at our roster and I was surprised. I think 75% of our players are over 6'1". Um, like when I played for Toronto, we weren't a big team and I'm looking around the league. I know there's some other big teams, but like, I'm the smallest guy, at least on the back end, but one of the smallest guys by a lot. And so I don't know if that's a change or I'm just noticing it more now or what have you. But yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I wouldn't say a ton. I wouldn't say a ton's changed over the last five years. More Cornell guys in the league, though. Well, that's good to see. You know, the, <laughs> the, 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 the Canadians to the U.S. is a phenomenal, a phenomenal trend. Uh, going to school in the States was a massive opportunity for me. I, I, anyone that, you know, wants to do that, I I think it's a great opportunity. And the fact that, you know, there's places like the Hill and these other programs that, you know, guys like Kevin Crowley are doing like that kind of are getting those eyeballs. Those were never around when I was that age. And I think the more we can do that, the better and just give kids more options. And I think, and then obviously the schools in the States, schools like Cornell are much more open to Canadians now too. So I, yeah, that, that's, that's phenomenal. Love to see it. And, and also love to see not just the Canadians, but you know, Americans in this game, right? Like we have, uh, you know, Mac O'Keefe, uh, it, 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 like phenomenal player, right? Like can shoot the ball like crazy and is actually picking up the game extremely well. Or one of the craziest ones I ever saw was Shriver uh, shows up to training, shows up to training camp and is throwing like around the worlds to guys inside. And you're just like, what the hell is happening right now? Uh, and he obviously turns into one of the best players in the league. So seeing that success too, I think, um, 
helps a ton, even especially on the DN. Got you know, like we have Eli. He's he's he, you know just athletes, and but then you know they've always tried that, but now it's like it's sticking, and I, I think it's great from multiple standpoints. Yeah, how important is the fact that you know we get more of these uh, American players, not just the Schreibers, the the elite talents, but those those middle tier guys to allow the league to have more teams and and have depth and 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 parity. Yeah, I think the depth. I mean, the more the more diverse, the the better, because then from looking at it from maybe like a you know a higher up view of like the league's success the more diverse a player base can be in the sense of geographies and stories, the better, because then the more people you can attract, I think. So, you know, I, I think the league is going the right way in the sense of, you know, everyone wants it to be, you know, the next major league. And I think we'll get there. It just takes time. And I think people are impatient um, that way, but if we get better three, four 5% a year over time, we will get there. Not in my career, obviously, but uh, the the idea that you know there's 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 more Americans, but then also there's more buy-in from real owners, people that are willing to you know stick around because I think you also need that too, right? You need long-term franchises because it takes a while to build a base, right? Like you yeah. have these kids programs, and you get out there and you make a connection to the community, and then if your franchise folds two or three years later, two or three years later, that work's all gone, right? So yeah. And having, you know, it, again, that diverse kind of player base, I think helps it helps attract, maintain a, a strong um, fan base. Who have you been more impressed with, Patrick Shume or Danny Logan? Wow, great question. Danny, Danny's an athlete. Just like if you you see him move, you see him run. You're just you're he's an athlete. Shume is big, right? I think he's six three, six four. Um, he's been my roommate on the road a, uh, a couple of times, quiet West Coast guy. I, I, that's a hard comparison because they're not the same player in this, right? Like Danny's been phenomenal on face-off, getting loose balls. That's a, it's, that's, that's a, that's a hard comparison. I, what I would say is what it tells you is guys like that. And this kind of goes to Patrick and the, the seals management of like drafting and picking up guys like that. Like, I, I think I was, we were talking on the weekend about, you know, draft picks and playing and I don't know all the stats, but if you go through our team right now, especially on the D, D side, how many young drafted players are playing big minutes and like, you don't usually see that, right? Like, so McCannell, Shumay, Sykes, Bradley, uh, Trey Leclerc, Danny Logan, like these are recent draft picks that are playing big minutes. So I think that goes to that, that goes to say something about, you know, how the team's built. You mentioned Trey LeClaire, the guy was playing, you know, majority offense last year. Now he comes, you know, looked pretty good in, in game one, game two, scoring huge transition goals, but also playing pretty solid, uh, you know, out the back door. Uh, what have you seen from his growth from even the start of training camp to, to last week? Yeah, I, I I think he'll be, he'll, so I, I've, I've listened to, you know, you guys and some others talk about, you know, transition player of the year and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't, don't sleep on Trey. The, uh, it, he's been phenomenal. Uh, he is a beast of a human being, uh, as you can, you know, you might be able to see it just in the sense of strength, size, his shot. He can shoot the piss out of the ball. Like, like, like he is an old guy, right? Like, like he can, he could be the top of your power if you wanted him to be. 
and he's willing to to work hard and work on D, right? And D is just a lot of work and he's learning it. So I I've been extremely impressed. I think he's probably our most unsung hero to this point. Obviously, you know, big signings and big guys up front, you know, kind of speak for themselves. But got like moves like that, I I I think that's one of our, you know, one of the, the, the our keys to success over our first two games. As that game against Saskatchewan went on and you guys started going on that run, how important was it for your defense to sort of understand that, okay, our O is going to get going. We just got to shut the door and let that happen. What was the message from, from Patty and that, and your staff as that game was going on, you guys were going on that run. Yeah, there's a couple points there. So, so one, I I'll talk about the coaching. So coaching wise, these first two games have been phenomenal in the sense of, in well obviously preparation so but in game adjustments having have if you go through the game and if you can pick out you know how the d changes or the o changes or like josh josh like um, shooter wrote up that play at in overtime right like that was the rattler play that's been around for yeah since i played junior probably older than that right like a like a <laughs> first play of all time kind of thing and to be able to understand that that might work so, but anyways so going back like to make in-game adjustment adjustments has been very impressive from my point of view, seeing and seeing adjustments that you that you could make. But then also the veteran leadership. So in that game specifically, the SAS game, I believe it was the end of the third quarter, and we're about to have our little D meeting at the side of the bench, like every team does. And Dane Doby walks up and he takes takes control of our D meeting there and he has a message for us and and says pretty much Teddy, what you were just saying that you know, we're good up front, we're going to get going, like you guys keep doing what you're doing. And I think that really fired us up, uh, especially coming from someone like that. And guess what happened? I think we went on like, an, well, there was already a goal at that point, but then a 7-0 run from there or something like yeah. that, right? So yeah, I, a lot of veterans on the team, a lot of smart minds on the team. Um, so yeah, I think there's more to us than, you know, just uh, a, a bunch of really good old guys. This has been awesome, man. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that you're back in the league. You're like, we're always one of my favorite guys to watch just because your your work ethic and your skill set and your speed. Does it feel weird being back now, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely does. I I feel like I'm I am a bit different in my mindset. I'm still trying to get game speed. You know, in training camp, I was probably making decisions half a second too slow, and now it's you know, a half of a half of a second too slow. So I'm, I, you know, I still got to get back that way. The craziest part is just the age difference in some of the players, like the, <laughs> uh, like Mikey McCannell was our ball boy in, in Orangeville. Like, it, you know, he's in our, he's in one of our Minto pictures and I'm in the, I'm on the team and he's our ball boy. Um, <laughs> the, and, and then like, we're driving, I was driving some of those guys around when we were um, our preseason games and just talking about, movies or music and what i say goes over their head and then what they say goes <laughs> over my head and we're just literally not on the same wavelength right um so that's probably the biggest differences uh it, but um you know, once you get on the floor it, it 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 feels the same uh i'm sure you wish you were gonna have a game this weekend but uh you guys are off until after christmas i'll see you in calgary for the game before new year's but uh happy you're back in the league my man so great catching up we'll catch up soon talk soon in calgary yeah, really appreciate what you guys are doing doing for the sport. I think it's I think it's great. The more content, the better. All right, there's Jesse Gamble and
I had him on in a, an early OTCB way back when he was just coming in the league and fresh out of Cornell. Um, but it's, I love the story, you know, gone for five years, focus on work and family and comes back and just fits in seamlessly with the San Diego Seals team. Obviously his connection with the Orangeville boys really helps, but it can't be easy to be off for five years from a pro league and separate back in, Pat. Well, for Jesse Gamble, it seems like the guy guy can do everything, right? Like what can't this guy do? But no, in all seriousness, man, like this is an awesome story. Like this really is an awesome story. A guy obviously steps away from, you know, very, you know, a very, very great career. Like, uh, you mentioned it, like coming into the league, you know, championship pedigree in Orangeville, one of T's guys, and then just steps away because he's focusing on his, his job. And I didn't realize that, you know, it was more of like a one year at a time. I thought mm-hmm. he was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care. I'm done. I didn't realize that this was ultimately a plan. And I bet you after two, three years, he thought, okay, this is it. This is done. But the the type of player that he is, the competitor that he is, you knew like there was always that fire to get back. It's just when was the right time. And obviously this was the right time, not just for, for him, obviously staying in great shape, but uh, again, those championship team of destiny type of vibes uh, around the San Diego seals team, trying to win one for Brody and uh, you know, bringing a guy you think it would not be a good thing to bring a guy back out of retirement after five years but he's showing that he hasn't missed a beat yeah and i, I think the masters as crazy as it sounds playing masters really kept him in shape he was always in great shape man taking an elevator 32 flights every day <laughs> but he, jesse gamble is never not going to come into camp shape that's just not the guy he is no. and you know when you look at you know him mccannell Shume, Danny Logan, some of those speedsters trade Lacella Claire out of the back door. He may not have to do as much as he used to for the Toronto Rock. I think they just need him to play veteran solid minutes and, and they're going to be happy with everything that he brings. So great catching up with Jesse Gamble um, as we get set for week three. Uh, it wasn't a good week for the lads in box bets. No. We will try and bounce back. Time now for box bets. Your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> all right, last week we were terrible. Bad. Um, rush seals over happened. That was a positive. The Rock lost. Hellier didn't get... T- two goals so we lost the OTCB parlay the go bigger go home got slaughtered we only got one of the four right so <laughs> we're gonna try and restart patty with a i don't want to say maybe a soft parlay this week but we're definitely gonna try and win some money anytime you're <laughs> architect of the parlay it's it's not an easy one we know we're right. playing for the fences it's not as go big or go home Oh, so wait till you see that one this week, buddy. Oh, I, I, <laughs> oh boy, I, we're going big. I can only, only wait. Oh. So this one, we do have two underdogs, so it's not a soft parlay at all. Sure. Vegas, money line over Panther City. They got a win in their home opener. Rochester, despite being 2-0, and 
They are going up against Albany, but they are the underdogs, but we don't care. Nope. We're taking them to win. And your last pick here, Teddy, which I like this one, Georgia, Philly, under 23 and a half. You put that all together at cool, but you're not going to find this anywhere else. Plus 1000. So Vegas to win Roch to win Georgia, Philly under 23 and a half, which I like that one, Teddy, because you could say, well, both defenses, both goalies got lit up. Well, you know, both coaching staffs are writing things up, trying to tighten things up. Under 23. Even if the, the offense is, you know, light it up, 23 and a half is a lot of goals. Yeah. I love the under in that one, Teddy. Now, I love that you love that, man. Now, everyone loves the OTCB parlay. Don't get me wrong. It's it's great. And we thank the, the fine folks at Cool Bet. But I think the go big or go home parlay is really starting to make some waves. I know it hasn't won yet, but once it hits, man. The OTCB listeners and the guys that are riding with you are going to be happy because these parlays are juicy. All right. This week's go big or go home. And if you're just catching the wave, it's one bet from every game on the weekend. So there are seven games. So you can see how this is going to get a little wild. This week, we've got Calgary minus one and a half. We're, we're mixing in some of your um, extra mixed and have bets here. So, oh, here we go. So, um, I got Vegas money line and over 21 and a half. Oh, my God. Rochester money line, Georgia on the money line and under 23 and a half. I'm taking the first half over between Toronto and Buffalo of over 12. Halifax money line and over 22 and a half. And then Mammoth money line and over 22 and a half. If you were to bet $10 on the go big or go home bet, you're walking home with a smooth $12,748. On a $10 bet, you have Christmas you have New Year's, you have your rent paid all the way through February, and you can book a trip to go to Vegas and watch a Desert Dog game at home. The the cool bet odds makers are sweating now as this is put in. Of course, again, stay cool, bet responsibly. Yes. We are not telling you to throw uh, an irresponsible amount of money on this. Just sprinkle a little bit. Have some fun. <laughs> I just put down if it was like I put a hundred dollar bet on that, my bet win limit exceeded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's if that bet hits, I I don't have a job anymore, Teddy. So, <laughs> but that that's that is the thing that I think uh, with the mixed like I, these mix, mixed bets, I absolutely absolutely love. They're, they're like awesome. Even even if you just bet one of them solo, like you like you said, yeah. Desert Dogs to win and to hit the over plus 370 like that's a great way to you know if you have no horse in the race you have no one to cheer for you're just looking for some fun to have like why not uh you know mix those in but teddy 
I will say, I think you got to repeat that one more time. I know you'll okay. we'll probably okay. tweet it out, but yeah, just for some of us slower folks, yeah, break it a down. One dollar bet on the following. We're just gonna do one dollar. You don't even have to put ten dollars, but one dollar. Calgary minus one and a half. Las Vegas to win, and the game goes over 21 and a half. Rochester on the money line to win straight up. Georgia to win on the money line, and the game goes over 23 and a half. Buffalo and Toronto over 12 goals by the half. Halifax on the money line, and the game goes over 22 and a half. Mammoth on the money line, and the game goes over 22 and a half. A $1 bet wins you $1,200. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. But, but hey. that's what we do on the Go Big or Go Home bet here yeah. on the Off the Crossbar podcast. So as Patty said, stay cool, bet responsibly, have some fun, check out the all the different odds that are there at coolbet.com, and don't forget to follow along on the OTCB Parlay. And of course, if you're looking to get started on CoolBet, you're not too sure how to work or how to how to get involved, hit myself up in the DMs, hit Teddy in the DMs, and uh, we'll get you set up or at least direct you in the way to get set up and, and uh, maybe a little tasty treat to go along with that. Um, all right, that's the parlays for this week. Um, one last thing before we go, uh, shout out Austin Shanks. Uh, he hasn't played for the Halifax Thunderbirds. He's been on their holdout because he's been doing his firefighter school, uh, but he has been rang in and awarded his certificate as a firefighter. So congratulations to Shanksy. Just another name on the long list of NLL players who've gone into the service industry. We thank you for your service and thank you for all your help and everything that you do. All of you guys that do it. Um, so congrats and shout out to Shanksy. Maybe he will be in the Thunderbirds lineup in a game soon, which is even scarier to think. <laughs> anything else pat no i mean i think again what a wild weekend we've got coming up uh saturday is going to be awesome all those games i mentioned i'm gonna have a, a couple of extra devices as the bills have a massive game against the dolphins um but again if you are not watching these games shame on you these first two weeks have been unbelievable um, and they're only going to get better. I truly believe, I know last year was such a, a great season, one of the most memorable seasons uh, in a long, long time. But uh, if, if this season tells us anything, I'll go to your famous quote, Teddy, expect the unexpected. And I think we're going to get some craziness this weekend. And I can't wait. I cannot wait. It is going to be fantastic. Again, seven games on the docket, two on Friday, including a TSN game and an ESPN game. It is going to be a wild one. Thank you to Jesse Gamble and Gavin Prout for checking out the show and stopping by and giving us some of their thoughts. He is P. Greggy or at P. Greggy on Twitter. I'm at Teddy Jenner, the show at OTCB underscore podcast or follow us on the Instas at OTCB Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend. If you go to a game, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. And enjoy a cold beverage because lacrosse and beer just go hand in hand. Happy holidays. Stay safe. And until we speak again, be excellent to each other.
you know 